out there. Jason Sarnia here with FinManiacs.com. I got a fun roundtable. And when I say fun, oh, who knows what we're going to start to hear in a couple of minutes with this motley crew of Miami Dolphin fans that we have here. No cursing, Dougley do wrong. Ooh. How you doing? <laughs> I'm good. You almost got I almost got it. I almost did it. PG-13 was going to do it right now. Just gonna do it. <laughs> it's okay. Good. You're a new father, so I'm sure the expletives are flying all <laughs> over the place. But how is being a new dad, Doug? It's tiring. I took the night shift because I'm always up at night anyway. But it's it's uh, it's tiring. I go to bed at 5 a.m. <laughs> every day. <laughs> Very tiring. Well, with as much work you do, you don't seem to sleep much anyway. I call you the mayor of Miami Dolphins YouTubeville. So with what you're doing now, before we bring the rest of the panel in, what are all the things that you're up to now? I actually started a brand new series on the channel because it's we're, we're getting towards the, the point in the season where it's going to die down a little bit. You know, it dies down, then we have free agency, then it dies down, then we have the draft, and then it really dies down. I started a new series on my channel called Miami Dolphins Mythbusters. Mm -hmm. And what I'm doing is all of these myths behind the Miami Dolphins, I'm either confirming them or busting them. And the first episode that came out last week was, did, is the reason Dan Marino fell to 27 because of the drugs? So if you want to know if that's the real reason Dan Marino fell to 27 because he, you know, he did some drugs in college, supposedly, go check out the video and you'll find out if that was uh, true or false. Oh, you're not going to tell us now. You're going to send us to the video. That makes sense. Yep. That makes complete sense. We'll get back to you, Doug, but thank you for coming on board. Savak Milton, voice of God. How you doing, sir? Fantastic. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> Uh, you know, just a little bit tired, too. Not nearly as tired as Doug, I'd imagine, because, you know, thankfully I, uh, well, you know, not to cast any shade on parents, but I am a proud not-a-father, but... <laughs> but There's I'm nothing wrong really with good. that. I'll live vicariously through Savak. I'm not going to live vicariously through Doug, because I'm to and through <laughs> with children. And speaking of uh, another pair of uh, non-parental units, we have Jorge Hinojosa. How are you, Jorge? Hey, Jason. Excited to be here. I know we're going to have a lot of fun. Um, it's exciting. I'm just waiting for Doc to just start ripping the F-bomb so that I can follow suit, you know? Uh, but yeah, it's, it's great to be here. It's going to be a fun show. And uh, I just want to put out an announcement, guys. If anyone's seen some hands that belong to number 19 for the Miami Dolphins, please call this number because we've been looking for them for a couple of months now. So just uh, call this number and we'll, we'll, we'll make sure that he gets back. he gets those back. Jorge of uh, the Two Amigos podcast is spitting fire this morning. We actually have him on a little bit of a short leash, so that might be the most incendiary that he gets. Uh, and speaking of incendiary, Jakeem Grant is pretty fast, but other than that, there's some work that needs to be done. Oh yeah, he's fantastic, though. I mean, I may, I have. There has never been a season in my franchise mode on Madden where I have not turned him into a superstar wide receiver. So. <laughs> The, the talent is there. We just, we need, we need the hands, man. Where, where are the hands? I think that if you can just get him in front of a jug machine, you know, put the helmet on, get the jug machine. He should have a jug machine in his bedroom. Wake up, alarm, boom, boom. <laughs> and that, that should hopefully alleviate that. Hussam Patel, one of the hardest working young beat writer, podcast, soon to be doing his thing. What is going on, Hussam? Hey guys, hey Jason, Jorge, Sivak, and Doug. Man, it's so nice to hear from you guys once again. And you know, we talk about short lease. I gotta ask, what kind of leash am I on here today? 
Uh, shorter than Jorge, but definitely we're going to keep you at bar here, you know. Uh, okay. You're doing very well. Okay. You're doing your thing over in Fin Maniac. Uh, Savak, I didn't get a chance to ask you, uh, what are some of the projects that you're up to these days? Oh, I'm sorry. We did kind of glaze right over that, didn't we? Yeah, sometimes, well, you know. <laughs> well, the Fin Addicts gone a little, uh, Fin Addicts podcast gone a little few and far between because, you know, what well, with the season ending and stuff, but I do believe we're going to be doing a draft-based episode and stuff and probably a couple other ones. It'll be a little bit more sporadic. But then in the meantime, I'm also doing another podcast with Jimmy Kearns, the handsome Jimmy. It's uh, the Nothing But Noise podcast where we're talking basically all sports, but still mostly football. We're just reaching out beyond the Miami Dolphins. And I'm also working on another project, but I'm not exactly sure how much of that I'm allowed to talk about. So might have to come back to it. Oh, yeah. I love it. See, we got a tease. We got a lead into a series that Doug is doing. Now, Doug, can I actually give you a, maybe a, a subject or, or some maybe? Yeah, man. I need to know where Dan Marino's first touchdown pass ball is. I need to know. Thank I you. did put together a little video that Joe Rose, when he caught the ball, obviously didn't have the foresight that he caught the ball from the greatest quarterback of all time threw that thing like it was a bomb oh my god and i don't know where it is i have suspects but i need you to maybe in episode 13 Ooh, now that's Ooh. a fun idea i like that no and, and you that jason ball. Jason has been hammering away at that. That's kind of been I, an ongoing theory. He looked like uh, <laughs> Charlie Day and It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I know you guys have seen that me. <laughs> behind, behind the Marino plaque is literally my safe of all my goods and everything that, uh, you know, uh, I've found so far. There's an ESPN reporter who is my suspect number one, but Doug, I'll, I'll let you pull on that thread. So with that said, I want to get opinions from this spectacular panel of, oh, we have another person joining. We actually have a terrific Miami Dolphin fan, fantasy football extraordinaire. Troy King is about to join us right now. So before we get the questions rolling, Troy, how you doing, my man? I'm doing excellent. How are you gentlemen doing today? Fantastic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Troy is one of the top fantasy content producers in the game right now. I don't think uh, he does much of anything other than eat, do fantasy, and that's about it. Don't think he sleeps. So from a Miami Dolphin fan and also a fantasy football expert, how was your overall 2020, Troy? Man, my 2020 was a pleasant surprise, Dolphin fan-wise. I mean, no one expected us to – I definitely didn't expect us to do as well as we did. I expected us to be an average team overall. But, I mean, our defense, I knew it was going to be good. Didn't know it was going to be that good. And offensively, you know, there were moments that were okay. Overall, there's a lot of disappointing moments. Again, there's a lot of injuries and things like that. But overall, I'm very happy with how 2020 – like ended up for the Dolphins for sure. Talk a little bit about yourself for a second before we get into the actual format sure. of the questions. Uh, you've been doing a lot, man. And why don't you give us a little <laughs> bit of a synopsis of what are some of the things that you've been up to these days? Ooh, yeah. So I am a writer for a couple different sites, you know, NFL, fantasy football, for ball blast football, as well as um, Join Our Circle is another site I write for. And I also do podcasting for Join Our Circle, as well as I'm a co-host of my own podcast called Fantasy Football Confidential. 
And those are the main things that I've been working on, just those different sites, just trying to produce content everywhere I can, you know, trying to have big guests on during this off season, just to talk about football and fantasy football. Let's have the synopsis of it. Love it. You're doing great. Obviously, keep grinding in 2021. So let's get on into it. So let's talk Miami Dolphins MVPs of the 2020 season, offensively, defensively. I'm going to start off with you, Savak. Let's stick to that defensive side of the ball. None of us really expected it to be that good of a defense. Who is your MVP? I got to say, it's probably got to go to Emmanuel Ogba. You know, he, he really was leading the charge in terms of our pass rush and racking up sacks. I, 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 I don't think I saw anybody else that was as, um, what's the word I'm thinking of? Not that, just as influential on opposing offensive lines as Emmanuel Ogba. So he would probably definitely be my guy. My close number two, of course, being Xavier Howard. You can't not mention him when you're talking about how good this defense was. But uh, <laughs> I did love the way that Emmanuel Ogba played. He really came to life in this defense. And that, that was fantastic. I'd love to see way more of that. <laughs> Absolutely. And Troy, let's go to you now. Who is your – and if you have to overlap, it's totally fine. But who is your opinion of – that defensive MVP. <laughs> I can't say anything additional, <laughs> to be honest with you. It's got to be Ogba or Xavier Howard. And to me, it's not even close. I feel like it's a big gap between those, I mean, them and the rest of the players. Not that the rest of the defense didn't show up, but they were just phenomenal. I'll just give it to, I'll have Xavier Howard just edge out just because those interceptions, I mean, he led the league. So I'm going to go, he's number, he's 1A to Ogba wouldn't be, but it's real close. Doug, what do you have to add for this? Is there someone else or are we going to pick one or the other? I think it's probably going to be the same for all of us. <laughs> um, but I'm going to go with Xavier Howard. Um, he was more consistent. Uh, he consistently was getting pressure, uh, shutting down people, consistently getting interceptions. I love Agba. You know, lead the led the team in sacks. Fun fact behind him with seven sacks, Jerome Baker. I don't think much people expected that to happen. But my biggest knock with not having him as the MVP was there were stunts. There was about there's a four game stretch not at the end of the season or two game stretch where Agba just disappeared. So that's why I have Xavier Howard as my number one MVP because he was just consistent, consistently getting turnovers. He had a stretch of what, like a couple games of him just picking people off. And some of those interceptions are just ridiculously sexy. So I'm going with Xavier Howard. <laughs> Absolutely. And we'll pivot a little bit when we get to Jorge and Hussam right now. Uh, obviously, those are the two cream of the crops. Is there an unsung defensive hero, Jorge, other than those two that you could say did his duties? Well, I, I think uh, I'm going to break the rules a little bit here, Jason. And I'm going to say Coach Gerald Alexander is really my MVP for a Dolphins defense. And uh, my, if I have to pick a player, I'd say Byron Jones because – Byron Jones is what allowed Saving Howard to, you know, take all those gambles and really pick up those passes because he knew that the other side was shut down. Uh, we saw what happened when Byron was injured. He was out. The defense didn't look itself. And I just want to say that the job Gerald Alexander did with, with the back four back there, back five, if you count Nick Needham, was amazing. So for me, Byron Jones and, and Coach Alexander are really my MVPs for that side of the ball. I like that take, and I think that GA, as he's called, is a future head coach in this league, uh, whether it's three years, five years. I, selfishly, I hope it's not because you, you think Brian Flores is the guy who's going to be the head coach forever, and Gerald Alexander is too good of a coordinator to stay a coordinator. So, And he's not even a coordinator yet. He's a defensive backs positions coach. So, Hussam, what's your take on that unsung defensive hero? And if you have anything to say, but obviously the stars on D. 
Well, obviously, Zamian Howard is the Miami Dolphins MVP. There's no question about it. We know what he's done this year, and he's been an absolute stud. But I want to talk about not one player, but two unsung heroes on the Dolphins' defensive line. And those are the big boys. The uh, first one is second-round draft pick Raekwon Davis. I mean, this dude is an absolute monster. He really turned it on during during uh, the late of the season and really taking on multiple blocks and getting into the backfield. And then there's Zach Sealer, who, I mean, who would have thought? He lives in an RV. He's just an awesome guy. And he was actually a pickup in the 2019 season later on as well. And the Dolphins really developed him. And he made a lot of plays in the backfield to allowing the linebackers, such as Jerome Baker, Kyle Van Noy, and your man, Andrew Van Ginkle and Landon Roberts, to pressure the quarterback and make sure that runs don't go beyond the line of scrimmage. Very well said. And this defensive unit is only growing. And you got to throw even a guy, Christian Wilkins, in there. He's been playing terrific. Obviously, you know, one, two years into a league, a lot of people are waiting for immediate, immediate results. People were even saying Christian Wilkins was a little bit of a bust earlier in his rookie years. That was ridiculous. And all Raekwon Davis has done was become the second leading defensive lineman rookie tackler behind Chase Young in 2020. So let's go back to now the offensive side of the ball and let's kind of do a snake draft. Troy, you're a fantasy guy. We're going to do a snake draft. We're going to keep it with Hussam. So Hussam, what's your offensive MVP for the Miami Dolphins in 2020? We might have a little bit of differentiation here across the panel now. Well, my offensive MVP is someone who's a little bit unlikely. I'm not going to say Tua because, you know, even though he did come on, um, you know, after um, the Jets game, I wouldn't necessarily claim him as the MVP. What I am going to say is actually uh, Robert Hunt and Solomon Kinley, the two big boys in the offensive line. Even though they are rookies, even though they are rookies, they really, really turned it on and they played well in their respective positions. You know, they were just straight up plug and play players and they held up most of their own. That's a good take right there. I really, uh, you know, I'm an offensive line guy. A lot of people know that, you know, fill up, give me another 650 pounds in the draft on the offensive line to fill in that, those holes. So let's see if I remember this order here on the snake draft. Troy, offensive MVP. Man, this is a tough question, actually. <laughs> like, tougher than I expected it to be, I guess. And I think injuries kind of played. A, I'll go I'll go Gaskin. I mean, like, just because when he was healthy, he obviously, no one expected him to do anything. I remember writing an article in the offseason. I was thinking that it was going to be like a thunder and lightning thing with Jordan Howard and Matt Breida, and I was horribly wrong. <laughs> that take obviously didn't translate. So Gaskin, obviously, he didn't do anything last year. I wouldn't, I wasn't expecting him to do anything. I think most fans would, didn't even count on him to be productive at all. He was an afterthought, and what he was able to do on that with that line, with just the passing game and the goal line, he struggled. But that's really the only place that that was the only like fault that I saw. Like overall, he was just extremely impressive, and I don't. There's no other player to me that was more of a pleasant surprise on the offense than Gaskin seventh rounder and played really like he was a second or third rounder and hopefully he still has a good solidified place in that Miami backfield. Jorge offensive MVP in your mind that's not number 19. No for sure 
Uh, I'm, I'm actually going to go with another coach, and it's going to be George Gotzi, the tight ends coach for the Dolphins. Uh, he not only coached the most productive tight end unit in uh, franchise history with, you know, Mike Gesicki, Smythe, Shaheen, and so on and so on, but he was actually, you know, moved to be a quarterback's coach halfway through the season. Now, I'm not sure if anyone out there has any coaching experience, but when you're coaching a unit and you have to change mid-season to another unit, that's a really, really tall task, and I think he did a great job. And if the rumors are true that he's going to be, you know, a co offensive coordinator with, with Coach Stutzfield. I think that's going to be a great a great tandem. And he has to be my MVP. I mean, that unit really produced both uh, pass catching and blocking for the offense. And all that has done for George Godsey has got him a, uh, a promotion or 0.5 of, of a promotion, if you can kind of call it that. I like the co-coordinators. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. Savak, your offensive MVP. Uh, I don't know how this hasn't come up yet, but Go ahead and say Ryan Fitzpatrick, okay? Oh I know it, it might not appear so at first glance, but when the way that this man came in and won a few of those games, and of course, you have to throw in that no-look pass against Oakland, oh, Oakland, excuse me, Las okay. Vegas. that's fine. <laughs> you, have, you have a two-year limit on that where it's allowed, and then you got to... <laughs> I know. If you say then St. Louis Rams, then, you, you know, you can't say St. Louis anymore. Yeah, then I got to get out. That's it. <laughs> but yeah, you got to toss in that that no look pass where he's getting his freaking head ripped off and manages to complete that bad boy down the down the field. Just the way that he played came in clutch in those situations when he absolutely needed to. To me, it's hard to give it to anybody other than Fitz. But uh, I did like the way uh, Jorge keeps naming coaches. So I, since we don't, I don't think we've got that on our little outline here. We weren't talking about special teams. I want to toss in our coordinator Danny Crossman damn okay. good job from him and of course King Sanders Mr. Jason Sanders himself <laughs> oh, I don't yeah. think we, I don't think we had a more dependable weapon than that man right there so those would be my picks <laughs> Jason, Jason Sanders, Sanders I like that one <laughs> I love that one he is going to have a career after football in South Florida he, he could sell whatever he wants I'll buy it so maybe it's luxury automobiles so I don't know. But Doug <laughs> King Sanders Cadillac. There it is. Or luxury imports. Luxury imports. Colonel uh, Sanders. You know. Oh, Colonel Sanders. Some kind I of like merger going on. I like I dig that. that. And we also have uh, we have a big fish reeled in right now. We got co-host of the fish tank, Seth Levitt, joining us. And you just came right in time, Seth. We're doing offensive and defensive MVPs for the 2020 Dolphins. But before we um, wow. before we let in <laughs> the Jedi of all Jedis, I see the Star Wars hat there, sir. How you doing, Seth? I'm doing well. How's everybody doing? I'm good. Excellent. Awesome. <laughs> Excellent. Sorry to just drop in on y'all late like this, but uh, we oh, big, it was Pinewood Derby Day for my uh, my son's Cub Scout troop. So uh, right pack. on. Yeah, he did okay. You know, it was our first one, and uh, he he dominated his heat, but uh, finished second in his den and seventh overall. So I can't complain. That's a plus analysis, like most that you do is all a plus analysis. <laughs> Love how you dive it in. It wasn't here. an A plus finish. You know, we didn't come home with the trophy, but it's okay. It's okay. We'll take it. We're developing squad. 
Exactly. Right. Exactly. And, uh, you know, thank you for diving in. Very much appreciate it. And, uh, you know, this is also a day I'm sure is on your calendar, on your radar. You know, the great Zach Thomas, it hopefully, fingers crossed, is his day. We'll talk number 54 in a moment, but what's your take on the 2020 Dolphins? I know the defensive side of the ball might be an easy MVP. I'd love to hear yours and we'll do offensive next. Who is your defensive MVP this year? Yeah, I mean, you know, Xavier Howard was one of the best players uh, on defense in the entire league. So I, I think that's kind of a runaway, although there were um, some tremendous performances all year long, right? I mean, Ogba was fantastic. Uh, uh, I know Van Ginkle was a lot of fun to root for and had some big plays. And, um, you know, there were so many guys that did a lot of great things. And it was exciting to see that defense just do a complete 180 under uh, Josh Boyer. And, and um, they, you know, they... Kept this team in a lot of games and, and actually served as offense in a lot of games. And, and they were just a really special defense. And, and it was fun to wear the aqua and orange again and root for those guys. But uh, Xavier Howard was just elite. Elite gets overused, I believe, um, when, you know, these days when we talk about players. But, but that guy played at an elite level. Before we go to offense, I want to not a put on the spot question, but a more of an opinion question. You were uh, with the Dolphins watching guys like Sam Madison, Pat Sertan, if oh, you had boy. to pick one, no, no, I'm not, I'm not going to put you so on the spot. I want to. That's know okay. That's you, okay. I can handle it. Who is he similar to? If you had a, you know. Oh wow, similar. You know that's hard to say, right? Because it's just such a different game. You know the 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 type of defense those guys could play. You know the way they played press back then. Um, Certainly, it gave those defensive players a better chance against receivers. We know that the game is geared towards scoring points these days and particularly towards quarterbacks and receivers. Um, and so, uh, you know, from that standpoint, you could say it's harder to play corner now. But just because you could put your hands on a guy back then doesn't mean that everybody could do it. And, and Sam Madison, people forget for a stretch of about three years, Sam Madison was you know, pick your top guy when they had Revis Island, when they had, I mean, he was as good as anybody in the league for a good three or four years. And uh, he just, he put those claws on you and nobody could get away from him. And it was crazy. You know, we heard uh, Channing Crowder when he was in the fish tank talk about, you know, 10 on 10, leave me alone. And, and that was his deal. Like I've got my man on lock and you guys got to handle the rest of the field. Uh, so he was fantastic. Pat Sertan was as good as anybody who's ever played corner for this team in, in the history of the franchise, I believe. Just so physical at the corner position, so smart. Um, I mean, those guys were just spectacular players. And and and, uh, and Pat could also play the slot, which is something that I think a lot of folks don't realize. When he first came into the league, you know, Terrell Buckley was starting. And uh, Jimmy didn't want to sit T-Buck for Pat, even though he knew that he had a special player in Pat. But P Pat could play that slot which Jimmy looked at as a third corner, you know, as a third starter. And uh, and he he was very special inside or outside. So uh, those two guys have a special place in my heart. I mean, that was, you know, the era that I was working for the team. Who is X similar to? I, I don't know. You know, that's a hard one to answer. But I, I, I think that um, when I talk to the older, older guys, not quite as old as me, or older than me, I should say, you know, they all say, hey, Seth, if Don McNeil didn't get hurt, that was another guy who was a special corner for this team. But, you know, I think Pat and Sam are, are, are clearly the best two corners to ever play. But but X is putting it together, man. And, uh, you know, if it, hopefully he's here for a long time and continues to play like that. You know, he's right there in that conversation. Hey, Seth, yeah, I've been on a, on a coach's streak lately through this throughout this panel. So 
I mean, Pat Sertain, you know, he's coaching down in Miami High School. Uh, Dolphins have shown that they are willing to go for high school coaches to bring into their program, and they did it with great success last year. Uh, do you see him coaching for Dolphins anytime soon? I couldn't make that call. It's a good question. You know, you talk about coaching. I mean, Sam's coaching tomorrow, right? I mean, yeah. Sam's going to be coaching for, yeah. for uh, you know, another Super Bowl ring, um, potentially. And uh, he won one as a player with the Giants, and, and he's coaching with the with the Chiefs again. Um, you know, Pat is is so smart, and uh, it doesn't surprise me at all that he's doing so well at American Heritage. Doesn't surprise me at all that his son is probably going to be the number one cornerback, you know, or could be the number one cornerback taken in the draft. Um, and not just because he has, uh, you know, uncanny size and strength and speed at that position, but he was coached really well from the time he was a little guy. Um, could Pat make the transition? He certainly has the ability. Does he want to? Does he want to keep coaching in high school? Does he want to just move on because his son, you know, he wants to watch his son play on Sunday? You know, I, I don't know those those answers, but does does he have the wherewithal and knowledge? There's no question. I mean, said I don't. I don't want to put you in the spot asking about another form. This is coach. a whole lot of <laughs> on the spot, Seth. Question. I'm just thinking, Sarni. You okay, getting okay. me in trouble, Jorge? I had a deal with Seth. Only. No, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Keep it coming. I don't need any softness. <laughs> there is another former Dolphins player coaching high school down in, in you know, in South Florida. Yeah. You know, Don just just committed to to Arizona. Yeah. He's also just received another offer for for Arizona as well. Um, do you think he could come in? You know. Give the young guys some tips on not just rushing the passer, but picking those balls up and, you know, having that Air Jordan celebration when they go into the end zone. I mean, you know, just, just asking the questions, man. Right. So does he have, you know, again, can he do it? I think he'd be fantastic. I, I um, you know, JT is really a guy who's pretty good at anything that he's one of those guys, right? Don't you hate those guys at anything they do? They find a way to be really good at it. And uh, but he's one of those guys. I never thought he'd get into coaching. He was not. And I know we're going to talk about Zach a little bit. JT studied film. He worked out. He did all the things he was supposed to do. But he wasn't one of these guys that wanted to spend all day. You know, he had a lot of things going on in his world. And he kind of felt like you do what you need to do to get it done. You do everything you need to do to get it done. But you don't have to sit around somewhere to prove somebody that you just spent a lot of time somewhere. And I just never thought he'd be a kind of guy that would want to spend 10, 12, 14, 18 hours uh coaching and watching film and and um he started coaching his boys he did not when his boys started playing tackle football he got into coaching because he didn't want somebody else to be coaching them and, and coaching them the wrong way uh, and quite honestly sam kind of talked him into it as well sam and ronda all those guys were coaching for for ayfl football in davie florida down here and uh and he caught the bug he caught yeah davie brought i see some heads nodding there davie bronco <laughs> so but jt caught the bug he really loved it and then when he started coaching high school ball, he treated it like he's a professional coach. And I, I uh, had to meet with him one time and I walked in and he was sitting there watching film. They were playing my alma mater, Piper. That was, you know, I hate to say it, but at one St. point. St. Thomas Aquinas. Yeah, he's coaching. Well, sure. St. Thomas is like, yeah. uh, you know, Division II college and maybe, <laughs> yeah. maybe even more. And, it's uh, a staple down here, man. Yeah. Well, nationally, right? Nationally. So. But that's not to take away from the credit of the caliber of coaching. They just, they got some horses for sure. Right, but he was breaking down film, playing against Piper, which he probably could have just showed up without practicing for the week and beat my poor Piper Bengals. <laughs> but he took it that seriously. And, you know, 
I don't even know how it's fair, right? You know, you got and there's a lot of great high school coaches, but when you got guys who played at the highest level, I mean, the guy's got a gold jacket for crying out loud, and he's breaking down film against a high school coach. It doesn't seem right. Could he make the leap? I think he'd be fantastic. He's worked with a lot of professional guys. He's helped guys who are preparing for the draft. He's helped guys um, historically with the team who've been looking for a little extra help. Uh, he's got a lot of knowledge to offer. And he also has, and, and, you know, I think the biggest thing we talk about at the head coaching level, right? So he's got the skill set, which I think your position coaches really need to be just just great teachers. But at the, at the highest level, you've got to be a manager. You've got to be a mentor. You've got to be a leader. And, uh, you know, we see that with Brian Flores. I think that's as much of his uh, the success story as anything is is his ability to lead men, right, and, and, and to have a – have directive to have um, a mission and to and to get 53 guys to buy in and follow you know it's not an easy thing to do um, and I think JT has the ability to do that would he do it I don't know his boys as you said are going to start playing college ball here pretty soon I think he's going to want to enjoy life and be able to fly around the country on Saturdays and see where his boys are playing and on Sundays hopefully sit in the booth with Joe and Jimmy and call Dolphin games Tell JT to come over to the PPO Bengals because we really need it. <laughs> he would not touch PPO, man. Oh, no. oh, oh, man. Guys. Why would you do that to we got We got Patel recruiting here. I love it. I you love know, it. little Pat played for PPO. That's yeah, where, uh, I know, yeah. man. He played for I PPO. Know. It is unbelievable for me. I mean, it's like the, the golden era for me, Seth, and I know we've talked about this, was, you know, 93, 4, 5, 6, or that like mid-90s, and once that team – became solidified with Zach, Jason Taylor, the cornerbacks with Sam and Pat. Now we're watching their children play and maybe drafted, and now they're going to maybe be coached. There's no maybe about it, yeah. No, it's no, I'm saying maybe, maybe the Dolphins, but that's – Right, 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 right. Yeah, well, I, I'd be shocked. I'd be shocked too. This is not a prediction. I'm not saying this on behalf of the team, and, and, and you know, I have no idea what Chris Greer's got planned. Um, but boy, if they drafted a cornerback and you know at three, I think people would really kind of raise an eyebrow. Another I one, agree. <laughs> right. I agree. right? But you got to give us you an have too many, but that might be too many. You're absolutely right. You got to give us an offensive MVP. And Doug, I know you always say, uh, an "Oh man, I was hoping you weren't going to say that." Oh, I remember. Um, I don't know. You know, it's. I, I think there were waves, right? I think there were waves where, you know, when he was playing, I feel like Miles Gaskin was as, as valuable as anybody. And and it's really weird to say that. Like, nothing jumped off. You know, this wasn't um, uh, Derrick Henry or anything of that nature. But the offense just seemed to move differently when that kid was in there. You know, both running the ball, both, uh, you know, catching the ball. Um, I thought he was a really productive player. Um and and I and I don't know if you talked about the quarterback thing, and I'm glad I missed it. If you did, uh, and I and I love Tua, and I and I really um, uh, believe and hope that he's got a great future with this franchise. But I think Ryan Fitzpatrick, you know, did some great things for this offense. Um, and even you know, you could even argue even when he wasn't playing, uh, serving as a mentor for Tua. Uh, I think that those you know there, there's some some real value there. Um, I, I'm a big Mike Gusecki guy. I think he's a lot of fun to watch and, and wish he was involved more. I don't know, in fairness, I don't know enough to say was he not involved in certain games because of play calls, because of scheme, because of what the defense was giving him, because certain quarterbacks were looking for him more than others. I don't have those answers. Um, I do know that he creates a heck of a mismatch, um, and, and he's a guy that I think will only continue to develop and, and probably – 
a lot of people were excited because of his athleticism when he was drafted. A lot of people were disappointed because he didn't produce in the way they hoped he would and questioned his toughness. I thought he showed – look, he's never going to be a guy that just blows people off the ball and the blocking in the run game. But, but man, him, him playing that last game where, you know, when, when we were getting our butts kicked and he was still out there and had his arm hanging off of his body and he was still in there playing, I, I thought that guy showed a lot of courage and guts and was really productive. Those are guys that I'd point to, I think. I would have liked to see more out of the wide receiver position, but they were banged up a lot this year. Um, and give some credit to that young offensive line, you know. I know I basically just totally dodged this question by naming damn near everybody on offense, but I, but it really kind of was like MVP by committee. You know, nobody stood out. You didn't have a guy who had 10 interceptions on the other side of the ball. You know, it wasn't there wasn't that guy. So I think any success they had, uh, there were different heroes each week. I'm completely with that mindset. And my guy, you know, I'm glad you mentioned Mike Gusecki. You know, it's hard to call him, you know, the most valuable player when you look at the entire statistics, you know. But I think Jorge mentioned that George Godsey was his MVP. And Mike Gusecki was part of that triple-headed tight end room that was the most productive Miami Dolphins tight end um, in a decade. And this was kind of, uh, you know, the committee that was because of Gusecki's presence. So, yeah, I agree with you, Seth. He's going to continue to develop, and I think he is a future hopeful staple for years and years and years to come with the Dolphins. So, Doug, uh, any other offensive-minded uh, player before we get into Zach Thomas? Because this, hopefully, fingers crossed, is going to be a major day for him. Seth nailed it right on the head with the, with the offense. It's hard to pick just one person. You know, Fitz came in. We had the, the Raiders game where he helped us win it with the no-look pass. Even at the beginning of the season, Fitz was in there doing fantastic things. You know, against Buffalo, he was throwing some fantastic passes. Um, you know, with the Jaguars game, he played great. The Jets, he did very good things. Even Tua, Tua had his ups, Tua had his downs. You know, rookie coming off of rehabbing all offseason, had two weeks to get ready for the season. Can't really knock Tua. Offensive line, struggled at points, but again, it was – to see how they did with three rookies starting was fantastic. Run game wasn't really there, but like we were talking about Miles Gaskin, you dumped the ball off to him. That kid was breaking off. The big touchdown against the, the Raiders, fantastic. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm in the same boat as Seth. You know, it's hard to pick an MVP. I love what I, if I had to, I love me some fits. Um, like, like Seth said on the sideline, he was just helping to him. My favorite. Uh, memory and, the, and I'm so glad that the Dolphins got this on a clip was when he, uh, when Tua ran it in for a touchdown the second time he got into the red zone first time against the Patriots he threw an interception second time he runs it in for a touchdown he's sitting with Fitz and they're talking and, and first thing Tua says to Fitz is how is my ball security and Fitz said who cares man you scored a touchdown no no one cares about that just enjoy the touchdown that's what I love. But you see what Brian Flores did, right? Year one of this re rebuild. He focused on the defense. He drafted a ton of defensive players. He brought in a, a ton of defensive free agents, top 10 defense. Now, this offseason, he's going to focus on that offense. And if everything goes well, you're going to have a well-rounded team that's going to be extremely dangerous. But like Seth said, it, it's hard to pick pinpoint one MVP on this offense because there was games where they played well together and then there was games where they didn't play well together. But if I had to, I would say Fitz just because of off the field. He was a great mentor to Tua and he came in and he helped a lot. You danced around that almost as badly as I did. <laughs> it's a, it was a hard one, man. It was a hard one. <laughs> you got to say, Seth, that was a masterful sidestep. Just like, oh, offensive MVP. How about everybody? Everybody. <laughs> everybody. Or nobody, right. Or nobody. 
I like it. I, I like it because it's a good problem to have when you're thinking about, you know, who's leading this young offense because it's exactly what it is. And, you know, the skill position players are coming. The Calvary's coming to help. And now I want to talk about Zach Thomas. And, Seth, you know, you, you had your experience, you know, being in the building, watching Zach work, watching him play. Um, this is kind of a – Let's share some stories here that you can say when you think of Zach Thomas, you know, whether it's on the field or whether it's what you know from him personally, what is the story of, of stories that you, you can tell us right now safely? Oh, man, I, where do I begin? I, I, you know, we, uh, we just, OJ and I were just on with Travis and Drive Time talking about Zach. And, and, you know, it was another one of those tell us your favorite Zach story. And it's hard to pick one when you know somebody that long and they're that special. Um, and, uh, I was very lucky to, I kind of came in to the league with Zach. He just had a much cooler job and was far more talented, but, um, you know, my intern year was 1996 and he was a fifth round draft choice and, and, uh, I'll never forget. He, you know, he was, he was a big deal coming out of Texas tech, but, you know, in the pros, we just thought he was a guy that was going to play special teams and maybe get cut. And uh, we started getting all these requests in the PR office. And, and my boss, Harvey Green, handed me a, a slip and said, yeah, it's interview request. And I, I don't know who the guy is, see if you can find him. And, and, um, and so I went and Zach did this interview. And, and you know, and a week later, he's starting and Jack Del Rio's cut. And it was pretty, pretty crazy to see it happen. Uh, you know, it's hard to pick one story. I, the thing, and not to give you the same information I gave Travis, but in, after thinking about it, as a player, there were so many moments throughout Zach's career that we could point to, so many. You know, tackles for losses, goal line stands, the interceptions, uh, you know, all the numbers that we've been talking about and, and why we think that uh, he's got um, a, a legitimate case for the Hall of Fame. Uh, I, I, I think the first play anybody remembered him, you know, the, the Sean Jefferson hit that knocked Sean out. And, and, and again, you never wish that on anybody, regardless of what colors they're wearing but that knocked Sean Jefferson out cold and fumbled the ball and was one of those where 70,000 people collectively give you that big, oh, you know, in the stadium. And and that was Zach Thomas, and that's what we saw every week for the rest of his career. And so, I, you know, that play, I think, will – when a guy's first play kind of is, is one that sticks with him the rest of his career and he's a good player, it's not like he's a one-hit wonder, it just tells you that, you know, there's some consistency there. But the, the other story I brought up, if you didn't hear it on drive time, that really tells me the kind of guy that Zach is, is that he got invited to go during halftime or something, do this uh, little game for the Miami Heat, you know, where he goes on the court and he does a little shooting contest. And and if he, you know, does the layup and the free, and, and then the, the free throw and three-pointer and depending on what he makes or whatever, different people in the crowd win. And before he went down to the old Miami arena, he said, where can I go shoot some hoops? And he went and shot free throws for an hour because he didn't want to embarrass himself. He didn't want to put bad tape out there. And uh, and so it's like, I mean, that's who he is. He he's uh, I think he's motivated by, A, being disrespected. You know, he's all about respect. Any interview he says, he somehow finds a way to string respect, you know, back to back to back about 18 times. So he's all about that, doesn't want to be disrespected. But he also, you know, some of the great ones have that fear of failure or fear, fear of looking bad, and he doesn't ever want to look bad. And, and so um, his preparation was elite. His, it, there are certain things you hear about guys that become almost mythical or legendary the older we all get, and, you know, I'm guilty of perpetuating some of that. But Zach prepared like no other, and he literally put in as much time as coaches um, and, and it didn't matter if he was playing or not playing. It didn't matter 
It was a preseason game. He he would he would go into a preseason game where he was going to play one series and do you know hours and hours and hours of film and fill up notebooks on 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 something you don't even know what it is. Those guys aren't even running a real offense. So um, he's he's just a different kind of guy that way. And, and clearly it showed on the field. I, I mean, he certainly would tell you about how he could read alignments, but he knew what guys were running. And not just anybody. He knew what Peyton Manning was running. He knew what the best players in the league were going to run before they even ran it. And, uh, and then he went and made the plays on top of it. So just a special, special player. Love that story about the free throws. It's, again, you know, it's elite preparation. And to kind of go on into that, one of the stories, my favorite stories, and all of them are such great stories on the tank and hearing what, you know, my favorite players, their nuances of preparing, the Cheetos. Just having Zach film study and the Cheeto film all over just because he's so in his element and eating his Cheetos, watching film. Just that's yeah, He needed to wash his damn hands, though, seriously. Hey. Now, I hadn't heard that story before. Jason Cole told that story, but... You know, like I said the other day, uh, uh, after seeing the way Zach and Izzo were living their rookie year in that apartment there, it doesn't surprise me that there was Cheeto dust all over the place. But but he did. He worked his tail off. And, um, you know, it just was uh, – I mean, we literally would sneak food down to him. You know, we the, the coaches were always in the, in the staff lounge. The coaches were always served dinner every night because they were working so late. And we, you know, somebody, myself, somebody else, we'd always pile some food on a plate and sneak it down to Zach down there in the basement uh, in the linebacker room as he was breaking down film. And I'd leave at 6.30, 7.30 at night and bring him a plate of food down. And, he, you know, and he, he's like, I'll be out of here in about three or four hours. I mean, yeah. just every night, every oh, night. It was incredible. That's awesome. That's just, just one of the reasons that don't show up on a stat sheet, although his stat sheets are loaded these are one of the things that make him so deserving of that honor. And, you know, to go kind of clockwise here, Troy, you know, what's your number one memory or, you know, just something that you think of right away when you think of 54? Yeah, I was going to say, because when Zach Thomas was, I'm only 30. So when he was playing. Was say, were you old enough to watch Zach play? <laughs> yeah, so my dad, though. So, you know, so. Oh, God, I feel old. <laughs> so so I, I love, I, look, he was a he's a legend, obviously, with Dolphin. My dad absolutely loved him. So I just remember, I remember him just being amazing. You know, just being younger. I, I didn't know, understand football, really, when he was at his elite level. But really just how much my dad always talked about him every single day and obviously Jason too. And that's for me personally, I just, again, he was just phenomenal. I can't say too much about, you know, cool stories like you guys are talking about, but <laughs> obviously he's, he's just a legend and I just enjoyed watching him. I don't have much to say besides that. We all know how great he was and I think he's definitely going to get into the hall tomorrow. That would be great. We are all waiting for it. Savak, I love that you got the uh, the white and aqua 54 to go with my <laughs> aqua and white. So uh, what's your favorite 54 story? Well, aside from that jersey, because that's actually the first jersey I ever owned. You know, it was a gift from my dad, a fellow Dolphin fan. And uh, that was what really prompted me and got prompted me to watch defense because I had never really paid that close of attention to defense before. Of course, I was a little kid, too. And, you know, we all care about the offense. We love that's where the sparks fly, at least, you know, on the surface level. So getting that jersey really made me pay attention. And when I watched him play, it was just incredible. You know, there was a clear difference between him and everybody else on the field. And uh, But I got to say, my favorite play from him had to be that uh, pick six he caught against Tennessee 
where he does the somersault into the end zone. <laughs> you know, he hurt himself doing that. He did. Yeah. He, yeah, he tweaked his that. He had like a high ankle sprain on that, and he had to kind of fake it and tough it out. Because, <laughs> but he, yeah, he hurt himself doing that. Uh, oh, that like, must was he uh, was he kind of reprimanded for doing the somersault or? No, nah, I mean you got to pick six as long as you're <laughs> play. You know, that's what I'm saying. He didn't want to be reprimanded either, but he did. He he tweaked it. And to his credit, so the Thomas family gymnastics was really, you know, his, his sister is an incredible gymnast, but and and his brother Bart might be the best athlete in the family. Um, incredibly athletic, and dunk a basketball at six feet tall and the whole thing. But um, Zach is uh they they unbelievable gymnast and i mean he could go off a hive dive and do double flips and you know you ever see him on a trampoline and so doing the flip was not you know but i just think that there's a lot of adrenaline and he probably never did a flip and landed with cleats and those cleats catch that grass and uh yeah so that's that's a little known fact on that play is he tweaked his ankle and had to tough it out the next week wow how about that dougley what do you got my man Zach Thomas, one of my all-time favorite Dolphins. Him and Jason Taylor absolutely loved watching him play. I, I did get to – I was born in 87, so I did get to watch <laughs> him play a little bit. You watch the babies, man. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but my favorite thing about Zach Thomas is, you know, his size. You wouldn't think much of him, right? Zach Thomas isn't this big linebacker. But all of a sudden, he's there, right? His interceptions, the quarterback throws the ball, and boom, Zach Thomas picks it off, and you're just like – but my favorite is when they would run the ball and all of a sudden there'd be this pile and he would just come right through the pile and just destroy these running backs. And you would, you wouldn't see him coming. He would just kill people. And that, that is my favorite thing about Zach Thomas is his undersize. Everyone kept saying, oh, he's so small. He's not this, he's not that. And he would just shut those people up, grab interceptions out of the air, knock people on their butts. It was just he was my favorite. I have like all, four different colors of his jersey. Him and Jason Taylor, my two favorites. I grew up watching them. They're they're the main reason I'm a Dolphins fan. I grew up watching uh, Zach Thomas, Jason Taylor, Dan Marino. How do you not become a Dolphin fan when watching three of the all-time greatest Dolphins? So it's just I I don't I'm sidestepping again. I don't have one specific memory, <laughs> but I just played and how he just <laughs> he shut people up with his size. He was like, all right, I'm small, but cool. I'm gonna knock you on your ass. Right. And Hussam, I know you're gonna make us all feel a little older than we should feel. Yeah, but I was, about, when, I was about to say when uh, Seth was like a bunch of babies in here, I'm like, wait till Hassam speaks. Yeah, well, my <laughs> grandfather used to take me to the games. <laughs> What do you got on your historical love for Zach Thomas? Listen, man, Seth, you're going to hate me for this, but I was born in 1999. Come on, man. I graduated what? high school that year. Oh, my God. On. I thought I was. My daughter was, was born in 1999. Oh, my Listen, man. Listen, man, I don't have a lot of memory about Zach Thomas played that much. But if you ask right, my dad, moving, I'm pretty man. sure. Hassan <laughs> thinks Zach Thomas was, uh, was a Dallas Cowboy, not a freaking Miami Dolphin. I hated it. I hated that move when they traded him. I hated that. I think, you know, unfortunately, it has been difficult for folks to be a Dolphins fan for quite some time, right? 
until Coach yeah. Flores took over. And we have great uh, – well, hope has now turned into success, and I think the sky's the limit. But for the last 20-some-odd years, really since I left in 2004, prior to 2004, it's been challenging. It's been challenging. And so when you find someone so much younger – who is still a passionate <laughs> Dolphins fan, I think that's a wonderful thing. That's great that you still found a way to cheer for this team uh, that we all know you should be cheering for, even though course, you didn't man. have an opportunity to watch some of these great players. So, you know, let's let's look at the upside there. I'm going to make yeah, Seth sure. feel a lot better because I'm going to jump into our uh, <laughs> age pool here. My favorite I'm good, memory. man. I'm good. I finally came to grips with it. I'm just the old guy. Well, I just turned 40, so I haven't come close to coming with grips to it yet. So uh, the number one memory that I have about Zach Thomas was, was kind of twofold. The game memory was against the Houston Oilers. So that's number one. And the fact is he got his Which first... just tells how old you are right there. Oilers, yeah, exactly. wow. Exactly. Oilers. The Houston Oilers. Another pick six, right? Now. You got it. That was against... Chris Chandler, who saw him. You know Chris Chandler? No, but just kidding, who saw him. He, he, uh, I watched that game in an emergency room of a hospital. My brother got hurt. He was okay. Arnie always has these crazy stories. He's I was on the second floor of the fraternity house in Buffalo. I feel like night. Nine out of ten of them take place in a hospital. This is why. I want to start seeing proof next time. Oh, dude. 100,000%. Watch the games in your living room. It's a lot safer. As a New Yorker in 1996-97, I had no other choice to get lucky with Marino on the national telecast and broadcast, uh, jet game. So a lot of times, you know, I was, as a kid growing up, watching five games, six games in a season, or when I got old enough to say, hey, Dad, can you take me to a restaurant that kind of has these, you know? Games, Hooters, you know, other places that are, yeah, food. You know, where am I going to watch you to a restaurant because his hospital food sucks. Exactly. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm waiting for my brother to tweak an ankle in soccer to go watch a game on a, you know, a, on a closed circuit TV. But anyway, you know. He's like, dad, 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 hey, slide me a little beer next time, you know? Exactly, exactly. But, you know, when I was able to watch games and the comfort of my living room growing up in New York, it, it was a joy. But being able to, even going further back, watching something called the Bob Hope All-American announcement. Remember Bob Hope was a comedian. He did an all-American football thing. I remember, I know, Seth, you're getting like, oh my God. But he did a thing every, you know, off-season where he named and announced the uh, the all-American team. And here comes yeah. Zach Thomas. I'm watching in my living room, in my living room, because it was on ABC. And uh, this little guy comes running out in shoulder pads that are bigger than his ears almost. And he had this Texas Tech jersey. And I said, you know what? I would love for that guy to be a Dolphin. And that was the first year that I watched the weekend draft. Like, it was a weekend, Hussam, Saturday and Sunday. All right? It wasn't during practice. Wow. So, I, it was Sunday. It was later in the draft. And I was like, that's the guy! And I went nuts. <laughs> and I, I just, from that moment on, I rooted for him and I hoped. And I, it wasn't like I was able to check a Twitter feed and knew that he took Jack Del Rio's job. You know, these are things that came on later as I was able to kind of see as my fandom came on and as Dougley mentioned and he's a New Jersey guy you know it's guys like Marino Thomas and that's my wall right there and OJ McDuffie from you know his rookie year on that was my four my Mount Rushmore and the day that hopefully is today that we find out that Zach Thomas gets to the Hall of Fame it's almost like it's a it's a playoff win it's a Hall of Fame induction for all of us and uh, I'm getting emotional right now because he's honestly someone who I've had the pleasure of meeting I didn't think he was going to be like a, a cool guy, but he was the exact opposite of my worry. He was the coolest dude I've ever met. 
and I had the absolute pleasure. I'm not going to share that story because uh, it's just a personal story, and and Seth knows it. But it meant so much to me to have a conversation with Zach and uh, another dolphin or two. But it was just uh, a moment where you say you're never supposed to meet a hero. Bull. If you have an opportunity, go up to that hero and give it a shot. I never would have forgiven I don't know. They're not all going to be like Zach, Sarni. <laughs> no, I understand that. But <laughs> I, I get let down more times than not. I'm just going to tell you. I understand. Hey, Seth. <laughs> hey, Seth. Can you, can you let me meet JT? Put a lid on it, Hussam. I got to get that short leash on it. Hussam, I'm yeah, muting you. Yeah. one of those games. You got to go to yeah, go, go ahead. You were about to jump in. No, no well, here's what I'm going to say. I, I, I think um, clearly, you know, Zach is one of the all-time fan favorites, and, and rightfully so. Um, a lot of people want to see Zach get into the Hall of Fame. And I don't think it's just because people are fans. I think that he's deserving. I truly believe he's deserving. And I believe the voters believe he's deserving. What I will say is, and I had no idea how um, intricate the process was until JT went on his journey uh, when he became eligible and, and fortunately made it as a first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, it's quite a process, man. And so I, I, look, I hope, it, I believe Zach deserves to go in. I hope it happens tonight. If it doesn't happen, I, I also hope that, that Dolphins Nation doesn't lose their damn minds. They're going to lose their damn minds. They will, they will. <laughs> but the thing I is... Gonna, I was going to ask that question. If he doesn't get in, do, do we riot? No, the bad no, part. Bad part. No, 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 riot. And I've seen people call for it on Twitter. I think it's, it is absolutely a matter of when and not if and it's yeah. just only five guys out of 15 can go in this year right only five guys out of 15 can go in there are Seven. some first ballot you know peyton manning's taking up one of those spots yeah. no matter what we, you guys yeah. think who anybody wants no, no, to we, be, yeah. we that's spot gone so now you and got damn four it, guys. it should be peyton manning and then zach thomas four times okay <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. And man, Peyton Manning probably thought he saw Zach Thomas four times every time he got up to the line. <laughs> However, you've got guys like Charles Woodson in there. You've got guys like Megatron. Those guys have the potential to be first ballot guys. And if they are, that means there's only two spots left for 12 guys. And so in that instance, as much as we want Zach to be in there, there's probably a lot of fans of a lot of different guys. And there's some guys that have been in that room eight, nine years and have yet to get in. And so sometimes those voters look at it. Well, okay, this guy, this is his last chance to get in. Zach still has the next 15 years, you know, or, and we'll get, a, you know, and so they, they start to compartmentalize and they start to look forward and who's up next year. And, and not everybody likes to hear that, but that's the reality of it, even though that there are 40 to 50 voters, whatever that number is. So, um, I'm just saying, I'm certainly not rooting against it because there'd be nothing better than for Zach to get that call uh, or however they're doing it this year since, you know, with COVID, it's all different. Um, there'd be nothing better than for Zach to get in. And I believe he will get in, whether it's tonight or somewhere down the line. But if he doesn't, it doesn't mean all hope is lost. I got a question for everyone. If you had the choice this year between Zach Thomas getting in or Richmond Webb getting in, who would you choose? That's a really, you know, why that's such that's, a tough question is because it's, it's not fair. Like, it's but, not, but he's not in the room. You know what I mean? So yeah. that's, you know, the it's, PR guy in me is like, it's, you know, when Richmond deserves to be in that oh, yeah. fame. I mean, when you put, uh, 
you know, and they didn't even start tracking all the measurables for offensive linemen, like offensive penalties and whatnot until I believe like 95, Seth, 94 or something. I mean, that, the data is there. I just, you know, you didn't have all this pro football focus right, stuff. Right, right. He didn't down. allow penalties yeah. that much compared to, you know, like like a Tony Baselli. Uh, he's on the same realm as a Willie Rofe, Doug, you know, uh, Walter Jones. But the thing that to me, and, you know, just to kind of sorry to go back to Zach Thomas, when Kevin Mawai took time of his induction speech to shout out Zach Thomas, that's a peer on peer. That's proof is in the pudding. A Hall of Famer mm-hmm. is saying that his nemesis should be in the Hall of Fame. Bruce Smith was the greatest pass rusher, arguably, ever to play the game from the defensive end spot. And his production against... From any spot. From any spot, Lawrence Taylor and then Bruce Smith, of course. Absolutely. But, you know, he was cut in half with Richmond Webb when he went against the old school Colts because they were in the uh, AFC East, the Jets, and, uh, you know, um, the Pats. He was averaging a sack plus a game. And when you went up against the Dolphins, when you were Bruce Smith, he went down to about 0.6 sacks per game. So you go from over a sack per game to under a sack per game against Richmond Webb. And to me, that is, you know, one of the proof that uh, it's a tough question, though. It's a great question, but I need to see mm-hmm. them both in if I had my druthers. But I think it's Zach's weekend. It's Zach's got to be number one. And then with all due respect to Richmond, Seth, I mean, you know more than me in this. What are your thoughts? With... My thoughts on what? Deserving or, or to, to kind of take I think Richmond is a Hall of Fame caliber player. I think Mark Clayton. I think if anybody's getting the raw deal, Mark Clayton got completely passed <laughs> over. And, and I, I mean, Mark Clayton had 18 touchdowns in 1984. Guys weren't doing that then. You know, Reggie Wayne's a guy who's on the ballot now. Hell of a receiver. Marvin Harrison's all, already in. You know, I mean, Peyton's going to have both of his receivers in the hall. Danny didn't have either yeah. of them. And, and Clayton, I mean, 80-something touchdowns. And and I get that the rules changed, and so the numbers got inflated uh, after him. But that's a Hall of Fame caliber player. I think Richmond absolutely is a Hall of Fame caliber player. But the reality is uh, that Richmond's never, you know, I don't think he's ever made it to the cover 25, let alone in the room. And Zach is in his second year in the room. And so to me, the conversation is Zach Thomas. It's it, You yeah. kind of deal with not to go and sound like a coach that you wish would tell you something that you want to hear and he's not telling you. But but that's that's what's in front of us. This is the guy that the, that the selectors believe um, deserves to be – is deserving of, of being in the conversation, being in the room. And, and so, um, you know, anybody else, I, I think – Next year, when they come out with the new list and, and what have you, then those conversations can be had. But, uh, you know, Jason Cole, who was on our show as a voter, said that there were other offensive linemen that they felt were ahead of Richmond. And and, and we can argue that. We argued it on the show. You know, I know Tony Vaselli right. gets a lot of love. To me, he didn't do it long enough. Um, but Zach, it seems to me, I'd be shocked if another linebacker – well, I guess there could be one. But, uh, but I think that Zach may – or should be the next linebacker that gets in, especially when you look at, and this to me was the most telling, is that, you know, Ray Lewis arguably, you know, could be said one of the top three, maybe number one middle linebacker in the history of the game. Um, People can argue however you want to argue. Brian Erlacher, great player, first ballot Hall of Famer. We're not saying Zach has to be a first ballot guy. But those were the preeminent guys in that era. And the Hall, the Hall of Fame, when they vote for the Hall of Fame, is did you dominate your era? You know, if, if to me, those two guys were first ballot guys, then this is a Hall of Fame player. Uh, when you look at the All-Pros, he's right there with them. And All-Pro is not measuring guys just in your conference. It's across the league. 
and he's got just as many as Ray, I believe. Maybe he's one short. I, you guys would know better than I. I think he's got more than Brian. He should be in. Um, and, and I believe he will be in. I, I, I hope it's tonight. Yeah. If it's not tonight, I know his time will come. I mean, tonight would make a lot of sense. You know, you have uh, – I mean, sense, it doesn't matter. But you got Sam Madison, a former teammate, already in the area. You got Jimmy Johnson being inducted. Just this – I know yeah, it doesn't matter. Things, it yeah, doesn't matter. Those, none of those things equate. You know, it's all about 15 people who are yep. up and five spots have to be filled. And whose chance is it? You know, John Lynch, eight, nine years in the room, yet to get in. That's true. Um, you, you know, you've got those linemen. Uh, you've got a couple guys, uh, I think, is it Clay Matthews? Clay Matthews, who, yeah. If Clay doesn't get in this year, I think he moves to the seniors committee. Like, he doesn't even – now, you could argue he's never even been in the room before. So there's a lot of different arguments, and that's what those selectors have to choose, and that's why they're in that position. It will be interesting to track, and it is Super Bowl weekend, so let's get some Super Bowl predictions before, uh, you know, we get on out of here. Uh, we'll start with Savak, and then we'll work our way around. So, uh, yeah, we're going to put you on the spot, sir. What do you got for the big game? Oh, well, see, I don't want to give like a score prediction because, you know, this one could really get go either way, I feel like. But if Kansas City doesn't just ju doesn't just absolutely lay it on in the first half and they give Tom Brady the opportunity to come in in the second half and do Tom Brady things, which we're all very familiar with, then this one could easily go Tampa Bay's way. Uh, I think Tampa's got the better defense. I think they've from top to bottom, the roster is a bit more talented uh, in, in, for Tampa Bay. So I got to say, I'm kind of leaning towards Tampa Bay. And I'd be lying if I said I didn't kind of hope they pull this one out. Because, uh, you know, I was actually talking with Brian yesterday. And he actually asked me, he's like, hey, uh, you know, you, I saw that you said you're, you're, you're rooting for Tampa. So is that a regional thing? And I'm like, yeah, kind of. And I gave him a breakdown. <laughs> Does uh this actually this kind of has a personal feel to it for me because for about as long far back as anybody can remember I have had family members there have been Meltons living in Tampa Bay that we have yeah the, the oh, Melton yeah. blood <laughs> runs deep in Tampa Bay it does <laughs> it makes sense and, and Jacksonville and ain't getting in anytime soon so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they Precisely. had it in 2017 man they had it. It was so close. It was so close. I, I think, uh, and honestly, I, I blame the head coach for that one, but we're not talking about them today. <laughs> but yes, there have been Meltons in Tampa Bay for as far back as anybody can remember. And honestly, guys, this past year has been kind of unfair to my family. It felt like we lost uh, a family member damn near every other month or something. It all culminated in November with my cousin. It was the first the first time I was going to get to see my brothers in person in the same place at the same time in like 10 years. And then I wake up that morning and I'm informed my cousin had passed away, who the last time I had seen him, we were both pallbearers at our uncle's funeral. And so, yeah, in that same year when we lost so many family members in that area, their team happens to make it to the Super Bowl. So, yeah, safe to say I'm rooting for Tampa Bay. Ah, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> well, good luck picking against Tampa, guys, after hearing that. I know. I, I, I'm going to say, man. Right. Sorry, Usam, Sorry Usam, guys. We're going to put you – we're going to go up the hierarchy of eight. <laughs> <laughs> You're following that right now. Well, here's what I'll say. I wish we were all all up there in uh, Tampa Bay for radio, bro. 
right here, right here is the virtual radio row. And Brennan and I are coming out with our Super Bowl pod uh, coming soon. It's, it's going to be released soon as well. And we're going to be talking a little bit about the schematics and analyzing both teams of who, who can necessarily win. Personally, I'm a Tom Brady hater. I don't like him at all. Okay, I'm sorry. I said on the last part, I'm saying it again. I don't want him. I want Mahomes magic, and I want him to destroy him in his own house. You have a prediction? A score? 27-23, Kansas City. Okay. All right. What about you, Troy? Uh, so, I agree a lot with Hassan, man. I'm sorry. I, uh, Savak's story, look, man, I hate going against Tampa now after his story. But I'm sorry. I'm going to. against the whole Mountain family, man. I know right. I am. I'm sorry, y'all, but I'm going, to, I'm going with the Chiefs. I can't root for Brady. We... I don't have to tell y'all what we've been. So through. are we picking who we're rooting for or who we think is going to win? Both. Or is that? I, never had I, did, I did both. Both. <laughs> both. I, I'm rooting for them, and I think the Chiefs are going to win. We know I'm, it's not going to be the same. They destroyed them last time they matched up. I still don't think they have an answer for Tyreek Hill. I still don't think they have an answer for Kelsey. Even though the offensive line, they have two offensive linemen out, I still don't think it matters. I their defense is great. I just don't think they have a – they don't have an answer for the weapons regardless. So I believe that Chiefs have still got it. My prediction, 27-21 Chiefs. Okay, Doug, what about you, my friend? Uh, I, I, I want to like Tom Brady, but after <laughs> so many years, just so many years of just having to deal with that man. Um, but, no, in all honesty, I like what he did in Tampa. Uh, you know, he's a – and it's funny, too, because I said this in one of my videos. If he was not on the Patriots, I would have liked Tom Brady because I like him in Tampa. But it just so happens he cheated so much on the Patriots that I hate his guts. <laughs> Except for the Dolphins. We always owned him. Um, but I honestly think that the, the, the best way to beat Tom Brady is to constantly get pressure on him. I honestly think that if the Packers were a little bit more competent, they would have beat him. They, they forced him to throw three stupid interceptions. King letting that stupid touchdown before the half. I honestly think that it should be the Packers right now taking the Chiefs Super Bowl one rematch. Um, but you have Chris Jones coming up the front. You have Frank Clark. You get in, his, in Tom Brady's face. You make him uncomfortable. It's going to be a long day for him. I'm actually picking the Chiefs. I know they're a three-and-a-half-point favorite. I don't know if it'll be that big of a difference. It might be like one or two points, but I am picking the Chiefs. I'm going to say like a... 30 to 27, 30 to 28 victory for the Chiefs. I like that score prediction. That's similar. We're going to come back to mine, but Seth, got to get yours, sir. So I hate making predictions. Uh, I, I don't <laughs> believe in it. I don't, I'm not a sports betting guy. That's not my thing. Um, I believe that the better football team on paper is Kansas City. I believed that the better football team on paper, you know, was Green Bay. However, I just do not count against Tom Brady. As much as, you know, a Dolphins fan might hate losing to Tom Brady or seeing Tom Brady win all the time, I think I don't know if he sold his soul to the devil. I don't know what he did. But it's almost cartoonish that the man has been in 14 conference championship games and is playing in his 10th Super Bowl. It's not human. It's almost like watching... You know, Superman was a lot of people's, everybody's favorite superhero as a kid, but then it wasn't because it was like he always won. Superman always won. He met like he's, he was. He's too super. He's too super. Too super. And, and Tom Brady 
it just doesn't, it's just in here. And so I, I, I don't see how anybody could pick against him. They could root against him, and that's fine. But there's just, it never makes any sense. But somehow he finds a way. And I think Sabak brought up the point that if Kansas City doesn't just jump all over them, although we saw Atlanta jump all over the Patriots one year, oh, and God. then there was a historic, uh, you know, meltdown oh, comeback. So, so just bad. run the ball, Atlanta. He, run he, the he, ball. You could say like, whatever it could be, but somehow little. that man finds a way. And he's going to post on Instagram with Gronk in the background and give you a little shrug, and and, and he's going to put another ring on his fingers. So, I, I, you know, the Chiefs are an unbelievable team. I think that Andy Reid is one of the all-time uh, greatest coaches in the history of this league. Mahomes is, is clearly the face of the NFL for a reason now. Um, they're a spectacular team. Uh, it's just that they happen to be playing against Superman. And... When that's the case, I think it's anybody's ballgame. I agree. I'll preface this by saying I'll be able to watch this game with a lot less care about Tom Brady if Zach Thomas makes the Hall of Fame. So if he does, I don't care. Seriously, if he does, I will say I couldn't care less if Brady wins five more rings. If he doesn't, I am so anti-Tom Brady winning another Super Bowl. You have no idea. Why well, I do have an idea. I got to call you out, Sorry. I know what's coming. I already got I gotta call you out. And you're my guy. So uh, I'm not trying to hate on you here. I know. You tweeted. You were I, he's so top five. He's top five. He's top five. He's not the greatest physical quarterback of attributes. If you put everything in a vacuum or in a bubble. If you want Wait to a minute. Wait, action. Tom Brady. Tom Brady's the goat. I'm sorry, I don't like him, but he's clearly he's playing the goat. in his tenth Super Bowl. That was a sport. <laughs> I know. I, I, you I, named I, guys. You had him ranked behind guys who've been, been, you know, two Super Bowl wins. Like, I've come got on, yelled man. at. I've got yelled at so much for <laughs> this. Uh, Jason, that's a bad take. I'm I know. See, I, I think Jason I, as well. I'm bitter. I'm bitter. I somewhat agree with Jason, though. <laughs> I so second bitter. Jason as well. I'm. Oh, I am so bitter. I admit when I'm bitter. I admit when some people think I'm a little... I already see where Doug's about to go with this. I already see where Doug's about to go with this. I, 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 I so would agree with Jason on this. I call Tom Brady the greatest of his decade. Because if Tom Brady played in the you know, 80s and the 90s, or heck, even the 70s, he wouldn't have survived. So to call him the greatest of all time? Crazy. No, I'm sorry. He wouldn't he, have survived? What do you mean he wouldn't have survived? Oh, he... I, with oh, the face mask tackles I, that the, the you, quarterbacks used to take, I don't think he would have survived back then. And now we're jammed at the Brady line of scrimmage by, with the wide receiver. He's getting coddled by this <laughs> by these play calls. He, I read an article, I forget who wrote it the other day, but it was basically, don't, you know... They're not just saying that he is arguably the greatest quarterback of all time. He might be the, one of the greatest winners in the history of sports. That was that was the tweet that made me say he's not the greatest athlete of all time. A lot of Outside of this is we're gonna use the word athlete. Bananas. We yeah. are looking like a Jim Brown or like you yeah, know. He's playing, he's playing the hardest position of all sports. To me, the most important position in any sport is quarterback. There's no other position like it that requires all of the things that are required of a quarterback in the NFL. The hardest mm -hmm. position, and he's. It's not just like oh well, this guy won four and he won five. He was in 14 conference championships out of 21 <laughs> years. Do so you tell me he got one game away from the Super Bowl every three years? No, two yeah. out of every three years. Just, holy crap. In a, uh, in a conference championship game. Seth is, <laughs> <laughs> Super Bowls. And look, 
that's the thing. So where I understand where, where people might be coming from is, yeah, Tom Brady was never the most physically gifted yeah. or he was never the most, you know, uh, I guess spectacular to watch, but he was the best at doing what he does. He still is the best at doing what he does, playing his game. And I think that that's man? really what made him made his strength. He's 42. He's yeah. 42 years old. Sorry, you're 40. I'm 47. I can barely get out of bed. He's 42. I was about to say, do, do, do you feel right like now? you could get up and go play football right now? Why do you think I hate the man? I mean, look, I was at the Pinewood Derby all day today. I got to go ice my back. Like, I thought this guy, he threw 40 touchdowns. He just went to Tampa Bay and brought them to the Super Bowl. I know. Yeah. I know. He won the Super Bowl they, two what, years ago. What was their record last year? I'm not happy with the way this took a turn. But uh, it is what it is. You know, you can hate somebody, but you <laughs> gotta respect what the man has uh, accomplished. I'll tell you thing. what, um, I, I got it. I you're right. Tom Brady's been winning Super Bowls as long as his son's been alive. Come on, man. <laughs> I want I, I wanna say this. As long as I have been alive. The reason why he's been winning his Super Bowls is not because of him. It's because of his team around him. Hey, he's not, had a great uh, running Troy Brown? He's not had a great – The greats like Julian Edelman and Troy Brown? The great. He's got oh, Danny Amendola, of course. Yeah, that's what yeah. Yeah. All of the coach in Bill Belichick. Come on. You, you, Let me tell you what. Uh, I'm, I'm going to start looking through blinders because uh, you can't see past nah. the rage towards this I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I'm, I'm, I'm Seth. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm going to tell you what. I'll, I'll, all right. I'll, here's the deal. If if Tom Brady wins tomorrow, I will literally – here's here's the deal. This is a not okay. a, no monetary anything. I will literally face up tweet and say, now that Tom Brady has become the only quarterback Don't to win it. a home Super Bowl game – and he's the second quarterback to win with two different teams. I will say that now he has moved up and is yeah. 100% overall, when you think about it, top five quarterback, number one quarterback of all time. But he's not the best he athlete. Does, he's already is. He's not the best athlete if, if, of all If he wins, time. look, if, if, Bill if Russell, he wins, Jason. Bill Russell has 11 <laughs> titles. So is he better Jason. than Bill Russell? But he, he against eight against teams. teams. There were exactly. 14 teams in the NBA with no free agency. There was no <laughs> And Ben Russell Jason. to me doesn't get enough credit. But come yeah. on, Jason's man. getting upset. <laughs> you know what, Jason? If he wins, you better. If he wins or loses, it doesn't change. I will. I will face up and I'll say I, I admit fully I was wrong. I look. You when I'm wrong, I'm wrong. You might as well do it right now, right after we talk. Will you, will you, you make your t- t- Will you make the banner on your Twitter, Tom Brady? No, 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 no. I won't do that. Nothing that could be screenshotted and like you know. Fabricated. I'll, I'll, I'll own Listen, up, guys. At I'm some point, you just gotta realize what you're watching is you're right. just it, you're it's, right. it's superhuman. Look, man, that's what I recognized when he came over to the Buccaneers. I realized, you know what, dude? I don't hate Tom Brady. I never hated Tom Brady. I just hated that he was in our division. Probably. Yeah, right. right. It was the fact that we had to face him twice a year, and that it was a cakewalk to the to uh, to the you know, division title for us. It's all that he's playing against your team. He's married yeah. to a supermodel. He smiles every time. He's <laughs> running around high five. He's living an amazing league. life, and like, he just keeps winning. And every it's hard not to be a little season. envious, you know. <laughs> the tuck rule, which happened on a birthday of mine. I was watching in my living room for all you, Are you people sh- wondering. Whoa, <laughs> I remember it well. I had a peanut butter chocolate cake. 
That's the I, most I, interesting I, part of the story that it was in your living room this time. I rarely it was on a birthday of mine. see what I had to do before getting dolphins in my living room before DirecTV. How so I talk to me about the tuck rule. Come on, sorry. <laughs> Name another person who benefited from the tuck rule. Name another person who benefited well, from that. Name another person who benefited from. Uh, I'm sorry, we're reaching out. We're, we're nitpicking now. We're nitpicking now. Run the ball. I am a nitpicker. We're going off topic. I'm giving a score prediction. I'm giving you all that. recognize that, like, when something happens once, it can be a fluke. Twice, maybe somebody's lucky. 14 conference championship games. You know, Andy Reid coached the Eagles to four straight conference championship games. They went to a Super Bowl and they lost. And then he got fired. And I'm like, how the hell do you fire a guy like that? And they got to make whatever decision they got to make. It wasn't an accident that he brought his team to four, to four straight conference championship games, and now we're seeing it because he's playing for a second straight Super Bowl. True. So, uh, you know, when things start to happen over and over and over again in a league that is built on parity, the league is designed for the worst teams to get better. The league is designed for the best teams to get worse. Free agency even is supposed to level the playing field even more, mm. and yet they win and he wins and he wins and he wins and he switches teams and he wins. It's not an accident, guys. It's just not. We got it. We got to recognize it. It just is. I get, I get especially very, this year. I get very especially annoyed when someone's very right. You're very right. <laughs> it is what it is. You're very <laughs> right. It's been a pleasure. I disagree <laughs> with you, Seth. I have to sit here and talk about it because I got to go. Yeah. I disagree with you, Seth. I'm sorry. Let Seth get out of here with 10 seconds. Talk to me in another 20 years. Evaluate what quarterbacks you've seen at that point in time. And then we'll run it back. Okay. Okay. We'll run it back. We'll run it back. Until then, you can tell me who the greatest PPO bangle was in the history of that. It was me. Thank you very much for joining us. What's the next thing you got going on in your world? I know you're one of the busiest guys out there. You know, we're having a lot of fun with the animated pieces. I don't know if you saw the most recent one with Ralph Stringer um, and uh, and Dan Marino talking about the Ace Ventura story. So it looks like we're going to have, um, hopefully for the next few months, we'll have a few more of those animated pieces, which is really exciting. The Dolphins have, have embraced that and have been fantastic. We've been enjoying a little downtime, although OJ and I are starting to, to sharpen the pencils and put together the guest list. So I don't have any names and I'm not trying to be coy. We just, we have some guys that we're targeting. Both I wasn't fishing. Don't worry. I wasn't names. fishing. No, not at yeah. all. Would never. And, I, and I'm working on a little project. I'm, I'm working on a, a, another idea to see if I can stir it up. And, and then on a personal side, I, um, and, and Savak knows about this thing, but I'm, I'm working on something else that, that, remotely ties the dolphins in but it's another way to tell a great story through the podcast platform so staying busy can't wait to get back in the tank with oj and dj preach and uh and listen to what you guys keep pumping out and and arguing over and, and all that fun stuff throughout the offseason because this is this is the time of hypotheticals i yeah. you know i worked for a guy who said he didn't deal in hypotheticals so so this is where i just watch and, and listen and, and let you guys have all that fun with that stuff uh, i'd love to say the postseason is just the preseason of speculation <laughs> i like it hey sabak and tell your wife this doesn't count right this doesn't count as you and i talking about all right, I'll so I'll make sure later to reiterate so that. <laughs> Seth Levitt, thank you very much. Enjoy the game, and let's root for Zach Thomas getting that knock, call, email, whatever it is. Yeah, let's cheer for Zach. You guys stay well, man. Be safe out there, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you, yes, Seth. sir. Take care, buddy. All right, fellas. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks, Seth. So I'm picking against Tom Brady. It's going to be 31-28. <laughs>
And as much as I love Seth Levitt, there's two or three people that could virtually slap me in the face and tell me I'm wrong. He's one of them. Another one is my father, so I'll make him feel a little old. That's just on you, Seth, for making me feel <laughs> But uh, yeah, I love Tom that you Brady. waited till he left to say that. I'm, I'm a smart man. I'm no fool. I don't want to learn. I'll get scathing. I'll get a scathing text from him after I air this thing, or maybe edit this thing out. But we'll see. But yes, I'm going to stick with my prediction. It's going to be 31-28. I know that was very close to someone else's. I think Doug had like 30-27 yeah. or something. But we seem to be simpatico on that. I will say that Scotty Miller is getting into the end zone because uh, Tom Brady's going to think that he's throwing to Julian Edelman because that's what he's going to just be used to for Edelman making them one of the mm. most ridiculous catches, Troy. He threw in the triple coverage, Brady! And Edelman remember. off the carpet! I remember. I remember, <laughs> Sorry, I'm all riled up. I'm all riled up. It's okay. See, that's what happens. That Tom Brady talk. A little bit split. The nose of the ball would have touched the ground. There goes the championship. Whatever. I still hate Pete Carroll, man. So far up his ass. Uh, There's my first curse that he can't. I just. Sean Lynch on the goal line. Oh, boy. That's all Pete Carroll, man. We're up 28 to three and Doug. did not run the ball once in the second half. Falcons was it's worse than the Seahawks. The it's the opposing team being Falcons afraid of Bill Belichick for some GD reason. Yeah. It's nothing yeah. to do with Tom I Brady. Did not His first expect, Super Bowl, uh, he sucked. So it has nothing uh, to do with Tom Brady. Did not expect my blood pressure to spike in a way that GameStop did last week. So uh, things are things are rough right now after this Brady tangent. But anyway, I want to thank everybody. This was a lot Sorry. of fun. <laughs> Savak, Doug, Hussam, Troy, and of course, we had Jorge Hinojosa on, and we had Seth Levitt on. So one more time, Savak, where can everybody find you? You can find me on the Fanatics Miami Dolphins podcast on the Fanatics Network and also on YouTube at Seriously Savak, although it's kind of my channel's been a little dormant for a little while, but hoping to get that reinvigorated. And then, of course, our new podcast with the one and only Handsome Jimmy, the Nothing But Noise podcast. Come check us out. Yep. Love it. And That's speaking all. of not dormant, <laughs> Doug does not sleep. What are you up to other than not sleeping with your? Uh, I don't. Movie? I don't ever sleep. Sleep. <laughs> I'll sleep when I'm dead. How about that? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I have a ton going on with the channel, uh, youtube.com slash Wrong. I'm actually thinking of starting my own podcast as well, but I don't know if I actually, that's that's where I might draw the line of not having time. So we'll see if that happens. But I got a ton of things going on with the YouTube channel with my little series. Going to be breaking down pre-agency, draft, all that great stuff. So be sure to go over and check it out, youtube.com slash Wrong. Can't wait to get into that detective and uh, Mythbuster show. I'm really excited for that. I can email you about 15 other things I'm curious about for you to do some digging. So, Hussam, I know you're busy today. You got some uh, something in the works for later today. What's cooking? Yeah, man. So, we're going to be building upon our virtual uh, Super Bowl uh, radio weekend. Uh, Brian and I are going to be, you know, maybe possibly having a couple of special guests on. Maybe fans from both teams who are playing in the Super Bowl and delving into a little bit of uh, analysis and seeing, you know, who are each team's strengths, who are each team's weaknesses, and giving a basically a nice little prediction, kind of like uh, what we did today. And, you know, further along the line, you know, Brennan and I are going to be pumping a lot of draft content uh, since it's the off season. And, hey, the 2021 draft season is already upon us. We already had the Senior Bowl. We're going to be looking forward to Pro Days and the Combines as well. So, Make sure you tune into all draft-related contact at Finmaniacs. 
Kazam, you've been doing a great job. Keep it up. And Troy, one of the hardest working guys in fantasy football and Miami Dolphin land overall. Where's everybody? And yeah, for anyone who does not know, you had an awesome interview with Matthew Barry and your crew uh, just the other day. So guys, check that out. And what else are you doing? Where can we find you? I appreciate it. You guys, you guys find me a bunch of places, but I'm one of the co-hosts of Fantasy Football Confidential. We live stream Wednesdays at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And we're also, I'm part of Join Our Circle, or Fantasy Football Intervention. I write and podcast for them, as well as I'm a writer for Ball Blast Football. So you can check out my worth both places. I'm going to be talking about free agents. I'm going to be talking about rookies on the podcast, as well as in articles. And you can find me at TKingMode on Twitter. You can find me on the Instagram, TikTok too, but mainly TKingMode on Twitter is where you'll find me being most active. Love it. Love your stuff. Uh, everyone give all of these guys a follow when you can. I'm Jason Sarni at FinManiacs.com with a lot of things coming in the offseason and heading on into draft and, of course, into the 2021 season, which will be here before you know it. Enjoy your Super Bowl weekend. Good luck to Zach Thomas. So hopefully by the time that this show airs, he is getting some sort of communique that he is one of the five in this final class of the NFL Hall of Fame. So thanks for everybody. Fins up and enjoy the big game on Sunday. Take care, everyone.